Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic, I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined by Greg Lance Watkins. This week we discuss the decline of trust in the mainstream media and of how people are increasingly turning to alternative sources for news. Greg, accusations of bias have been made against the BBC for decades, but things seem to have intensified in the last few years, before and after the Brexit referendum. I'm not sure whether it's intensified or whether it's just that we're paying more attention to it. Because although, um, let us take um, UKIP, um, in the days when it was really at the most noticeable, with uh, more MEPs than any other party, it got very, very little coverage on a per diem basis. Yes, um, their leader at the time um, got more coverage than he really was entitled to from his stature uh, as a politician. However, he got that because he was well-spoken, quick with answers, um, and very much media savvy. So I'm not sure it's fair to say that it's only because of Brexit. However, how much of having Nigel Farage on was using him as the useful idiot uh, for one side of the argument, meanwhile fielding four other people um, to the side the BBC favoured? Yes, Um, that's right. And I think also we've got to look at what's happened in the three years since Brexit and the loaded language we see on news reports. Every bit of good economic news is despite Brexit. Every bit of investment in the country by uh, manufacturers and what have you is despite Brexit. And it's loaded language. And I've also kept um, copies of BBC News, particularly BBC Wales Today, on the day the Brexit result was announced in 2016. And we, we had half past six BBC Wales. The, the va- Sterling has plummeted. The stock market is crashing. And then within about a week well, less than a week, it had completely recovered all the ground it's lost. And in the months that followed, um, the FTSE 100 hit record highs on, I think, three separate occasions. So the BBC BBC got caught up in its own bullshit, I think. We also have a situation now where this sort of institutional bias at the BBC has gone over to other broadcasters as well. Um, For example, I think about ITV News at 10. It's a historic brand. It's about 50 years old now. It started in the late 1960s, I believe. And you think about names like Reginald Bosenkay, Alistair Burnett, Trevor MacDonald. And even five, ten years ago, we had people like Mark Austin presenting it, a highly reputable, decent journalist. But now we have Tom Bradby. And we have every link he does, he seems to insert his own opinions into it. And they're all very sort of trendy, liberal, elitist sort of opinions, really. And these all sort of little asides to camera he does, stroking his chin to look concerned. And there was an old rule years ago that adjectives should always be treated with suspicion in a newsreader's script. With Bradby now, he's inserting them all the time. Um, he He begins his links with things like, I don't know about you. Well, you don't refer to I and you when you're reading a new script. You go who, what, when, where, perhaps why, if you know enough, and then throw over to the reporter. That seems to have been lost. And even now at ITV, 
we're seeing a decline in standards. And Sky News has gone downhill quite dramatically in the last three years, I would say. Well, Sky, Sky News was absolutely hilarious when the announcement of the fact that Parliament was being prorogued uh, was made. Um, Adam Bolton was near hysterical um, at the thought that um, this could possibly happen. Well, it happens on a regular basis um, to arrange Queen's speech. Mm. Uh, so I think the issue then is we look beyond the BBC and ITV. There's been, as you've just outlined, an extraordinary decline in Sky News, partly due to cutbacks at Sky News. A huge amount of expertise has left in the last few years, retired or moved on. Everyone from Jeremy Thompson to Jeff Randall to Glenn O'Glaser, Peter Spencer. These were all top-rate journalists and they've all moved on now. And they've been replaced by people who are not only younger and less experienced and less understanding of how things really are but also come from the sort of London bubble if that makes sense so there's been a significant decline in Sky News which you've outlined but also Channel 4 News now Channel 4 has been going since 1982 and the main Channel 4 News program has only ever had two presenters in its history the first was Peter Sissons who um, presented from the beginning in 1982 until about 1989 um, when he went to the BBC and the second was John Snow, who is still there, 1989 to the present day. And the thing about John Snow is, is you, you look at the early years of Channel 4 News under John Snow, and it was still a respectable programme. But I would say at some point, probably in the early 2000s, it started to morph into the world according to John Snow or the John Snow show. And... I think Channel 4, not a, it's based around him, but also the correspondents there all seem to share his world view. And again, this is not a balanced news outlet. It does not give you straightforward facts and analysis. I must admit, I, don't, I so rarely watch it because it is so irritating. I'm not rem remotely interested in Jon Snow's um, personal opinion on anything. And as for that, girl with the hair um Kathy well, Newman. Newman that's that's right Kathy Newman um she's hopeless she is on a feminist crusade to look clever mm. and she comes across as looking like a gentle idiot mm. hard news well presented seems to be long gone unless of course you want to watch um the Turkish news channel or um, Al Jazeera, which is um, frequently excellent, you know where they're coming from, mm. um, and you can make allowances for that, but you'll get far better news coverage from um, Al Jazeera, the Turkish channel, um, Sputnik Radio, um, RT, mm. and the like. I, I I agree with you because we, we look at we look at things now, and it, it, this proliferation of news channels in the last five years or so, people say, "Oh, be suspicious of RT; it's it's Russian propaganda." Excuse me, I don't think it is. Okay, I am aware of who the owners are, and you have to have a little filter with that when you watch it. But I I, I sit down, I watch RT at least once a day, and I actually find okay, you can tell it, it's done on a budget. But I find their coverage fair and balanced. Um, I watch TRT, which is the Turkish channel you just referred to. 
um, which is very well resourced and it's got reputable people working there people like Martin Stanford who worked for Sky News for many years and the BBC before that Martin is a very good journalist Um, they've got some superb reporters all around the world and it's not a propaganda piece for President Erdogan because I find that their coverage, particularly of foreign affairs and particularly situations like what the events in Hong Kong in recent weeks, I found that TRT were much quicker off the mark and much more up to date than BBC News. And I am also finding another interesting element. We talk, we know about the problems in Hong Kong and they're getting more serious at the moment. But weekend after weekend, there have been protests in Paris. People have been losing eyes. People have been losing limbs. The BBC barely touches it at all. I go to channels like RT and TRT and Al Jazeera, and not only do I sometimes get a completely fresh perspective on a story I already am familiar with, but sometimes they're telling me about stories that the BBC aren't telling me about at all. So yes, you've got to have your filter and realise who is behind, who is funding these channels, but you've also got to have your filter when you're watching BBC News. Let us not forget that up until a few years ago, the chairman of the BBC Trust was Lord Patton. That is the same Lord Patton, Chris Patton, former EU commissioner, who is on an EU pension, and that EU pension stipulates that if he says or does anything that goes against the EU's interests, that pension can be taken away from him. And so therefore, yes, you've got to have your filter and realise who the owners are of these news channels and so forth, but that same filter needs to be applied when you're watching the BBC. Let's not forget that Chris Patton was dumped by his own constituency in an election, who voted him out of office, whereupon he was promptly given the job to give Hong Kong away, mm. which, let's face it, um, we can see how competent the, the agreement that he drew up was mm. um, from what is going on there today. I think there is a situation at the moment, though, where people, general people in the street and people I meet who are not necessarily of the media classes, taxi drivers, people who serve me in shops and so forth, they are increasingly saying that they are losing faith in the BBC. The biases at the BBC that I knew when I worked there and became aware of in my teens and when I was a student, people in general are seeing it for what it is now because there's far too much mixing up of fact and opinion People are not stupid and they do know that when they see a panel that's grossly biased towards pro-EU points of view and pro-sort of London bubble points of view, people are increasingly seeing through that and people are increasingly seeing the BBC for what it is and Sky News for what it is. The decline of Sky News, I think, has been extraordinary because it once provided a useful counterbalance to the, um, the BBC. You know, there was that time oh, maybe 15 years ago now, where not only did you have the likes of Glenn O'Glaser, Peter Spencer, Tim Marshall, one of the great foreign correspondents, Tim Marshall, but you also had um, a nightly news analysis programme with Richard Littlejohn. Now, all that sort of thing is gone from the modern-day Sky News. It, it is a clone of the BBC News and done on a budget. That much is clear. But people are seeing through these things now and people are increasingly turning to TRT and to RT and to Al Jazeera, and to various other newer outlets. And we mentioned Radio Sputnik. Now, obviously we know who's funding it, but at the same time, you've got John Gaunt working there. You've got George Galloway working there. Both terrific broadcasters and terrific communicators, but from very different perspectives. 
so they can hardly be accused of having an agenda. And I think it's, I am going to be optimistic about this. I am optimistic that people are increasingly turning to alternative sources. The BBC and the mainstream media's monopoly has been broken. Hugh Edwards might be paid whatever it is, £500,000 a year um, for reading the news on the BBC. But the 10 o'clock news gets four million on a good day. People's trust in these traditional news sources is declining fast. I would say that I am probably their target audience Hmm. uh, in many ways. I haven't watched the BBC other than when in other people's houses and they've turned the BBC on. I haven't watched it for possibly five years. Uh, because I do not trust it. Yes, but I also would say that if we were to look at who the great interviewers are historically and who they are today, um, we we remember people of a certain age would remember people like Sir Robin Day and Brian Walden, who died earlier this year. And in the modern era, I would say the three best political interviewers are Andrew Neil at the BBC, Nick Ferrari at LBC, and Eddie Mayer at LBC. I think they are the three best political interviewers in Britain today. Now, Andrew Neil, I will exempt him from all that we've just discussed about BBC bias because he's led a very full life in the commercial sector and also has a great deal of experience in the world of business. And whether it's on social media or even when he's doing his job at the BBC, he is uh, sort. He works for them, but he's not one of them, if that makes sense. And I think with Andrew Neil, we look at where we were, say, three years ago, where he presented. There was always a problem with Andrew Neil in that most of his work was either do, was either on air when people were either in work or in bed. He used to present the Daily Politics four days a week. He presented This Week late at night after question time on a Thursday. And he presented the Sunday Politics on a Sunday lunchtime. Now, in the last few years, partly because of his age, perhaps, um, his um, the Daily Politics has gone completely, but he only presents its successor, Politics Live, on a Thursday lunchtime. Um, the Sunday Politics was gone and replaced with nothing. This week has gone and is replaced with a podcast, which he's got nothing to do with. Andrew Neil now, OK, it was announced the other day that he's being given a new show, which will be on once a week and primetime BBC Two to run into the autumn. But their one talent at the BBC, the one person who really goes for it when he interviews politicians, firm but fair, does his own research, has been sidelined to such an extent. Let's face it, Andrew Neil is far from impecunious. I'm sure he has a lot of personal ambitions left in life um, that do not involve kowtowing to the BBC's rules and regulations. I dare say you're right, but beyond that, um, someone who's a lot younger than Andrew Neil, but I would say was until quite recently the BBC's second best interviewer, Eddie Mayer, the BBC let him go to the commercial sector, LBC. I don't think there's anyone left at the BBC now in Andrew Neil or Eddie Mayer's league. I don't think they have a, somebody probing in the mould of Robin Day or Peter Sissons or Andrew Neil, who obviously has been scaled back, as we just said, or Eddie Mayer, who's now moved on to the commercial sector. There is not a heavyweight political interrogator left there now. They haven't even got a David Frost. Mm. Who have the BBC got who is not merely an embarrassment? Andrew Marr. 
I've got respect for Andrew Marr in two ways. I think he's very good at explaining some quite complicated concepts in a very clear and straightforward way. And I also think Andrew Marr is a very good documentary maker about historical and political events. With the greatest of respect to Andrew and what he's achieved, his Sunday morning show when he's interviewing people on 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock BBC One on a Sunday morning, he has a tendency to speak to politicians as though he's one of them rather than a voter. So I think there you have a man, okay, a man of the left historically, Andrew Marr, not a stupid person by any stretch of the imagination, very bright and very well informed, but the BBC are not utilising him where his talents are best suited. I can't argue with you. Um, I don't watch the BBC enough um, to be anything other than, to be honest, bloody irritated by them at the fact that they extort money from people um, to pay the obscene salaries uh, that they're currently paying um, to what I would consider in terms of old school television lightweights people are increasingly looking elsewhere for news and i think that can only be a good thing the bbc's monopoly has been broken its influence is declining fast and there may well be another five years where it is seen as utterly obsolete it's earned its own failure and do you think also then in that case we've we talked about the decline of itv news at 10 which by the way is still a very good program when tom bradby is not presenting it i have a great respect for alistair stewart and raggy omar and julie etchingham and people like that but also the decline of as i say itv news at 10 the way yeah. channel 4 news has become the john snow show the decline of sky news this is traditional media on its last legs i feel and one final point then, looking beyond the BBC's actual news coverage and moving on to its current affairs, we have seen in recent years the decline of Panorama, the fact that they allowed Stacey Dooley, who is not a journalist, very well-paid woman, I think she's on a quarter of a million pounds a year at the BBC, but is not a trained journalist. She made a very serious error in her recent Panorama. Not her fault, it's the fault of producers because that for allowing her to present the programme in the first place. But the decline of Panorama from a serious heavyweight programme lasting 45 minutes, sometimes an hour, to this half-hour magazine sort of format in prime time. We've seen ITV, the loss of World in Action. We've seen the decline of Channel 4 dispatches. In Wales, where I live, we've seen the loss of Week In, Week Out. The decline of serious investigative journalism on television which has uncovered some tremendous injustices over the last 50 years, but now we are losing it and we've almost lost it completely. I would agree with you entirely. Um, uh, you name programmes like uh, Panorama, um, Dispatches, Newsnight, they no longer exist. There are parodies of them um, that have been shortened uh, made lightweight. Let's end on an optimistic note. We've talked a bit about RT, TRT, Al Jazeera and so forth. Not only is their news coverage a fresh alternative to what's available, but what they do with the half hour from half past the hour to the top of the hour, with all three of those channels I just mentioned, some very good world affairs documentaries which really will broaden your horizons, and I'd urge people to watch them. So do you share my view in conclusion then that you will be a more rounded person and a more well-informed person 
for also looking at those news channels to get your more rounded perception of what's really going on in this world. I think to have any idea what's going on in this world, you have to watch at least five or six channels. Mm. Um, and last are the mainstream channels in Britain. My thanks as always to Greg, and if you've got any suggestions for future topics for our series of podcasts, please drop me a tweet. I'm at Marcus Stead. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Mm-hmm.